You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger here with my co-hosts Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today is Joachim Nordwall. Hello. 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 Nice to be here. Ah, thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And you probably know Joachim from his wonderful label Ideal Recordings or The Skull Defects, which uh, I think was kind of your longest running project, or is there something that's been going long? I mean, I know Alvar's Orchestra was earlier, but... Yeah, it's it's not really ongoing, Alvar's, but but I think Skull Defects is the longest. It's 13 years we, we, we did that, so it's probably the longest, yeah. Awesome. But before Ideal... You also had another label that you were working on in Sweden in the 80s, which was Borft. Is that that's yeah. the right way to say it, or is it? Sounds great, man. <laughs> <laughs> my, my Swedish pronunciation has never been good, uh, even though the, no. the, the Connolly say I, I do it with confidence, and that's all that it, counts. It's, it's the confidence that he does it with that gives us <laughs> yeah, the, it's... okay, you know what? We're we're down, but we do know we've had some Swedish li- listeners uh, do some corrections or give you the thumbs up, like you know what he does. Yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's also sometimes it's even changing the Swedish pronunciations. Like Gray say something, and then we change it over here. So, it's, <laughs> so there you go. You're it's tricky. Like, because so it sounds tricky. better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's changing the landscape of Swedish exactly. language. Uh, exactly. I love it. I love it. Perfect. 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 You know what? That is better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about, let's let's start at the beginning. Let's start even before Borft and talk about how you got into this stuff and, and what led you to starting a label and starting your activities in Sweden in the 80s. Yeah. So uh, actually, I come from the southeast of Sweden, from a small town there with like 25,000 people living there. And I think my, my, it's, you know, like growing up, it's like anywhere in the world, probably in a small place with not much connections to the outside world. And it's like total boredom. And, you know, if you get like a, a little glimpse of something else, you get really excited over it. And I had this older cousin who was, he, he was importing muscle cars from the States, but he was also into like synth music, like front two for two and, you know, uh, and Gothic stuff like birthday party and the cure and stuff like that. And when I was like tw- 10 or 11, he was, you know, he was the coolest guy on this planet. And I was, you know, if, if he told me you should listen to this and that, I, I, I of course did that. And, and he used to give me like cool t-shirts for my birthday, like Leibach t-shirts and stuff like that, which, which is weird. You know, you know, and now when I think about that guy, you know, he was a total, like, like a muscle car guy, but he was to- totally also into that <laughs> totally other world. Mm-hmm. And it was a total UFO in the village. You know, it was like wearing black and band t-shirts where the others were wearing denim and, you know, probably listening to Elvis Presley or something. Uh, but he, he was sort of my first connection or first, like, probably like he gave me the idea that it was something else out there than, than, than just this small place where I come from. And when I was 12, I, I met Svare, Jan Svensson, who was, who was uh, at the time, he was like, he had already started Borft and he had released one tape with Frock uh, in 1987. And we met at school and I, I had the, the cure t-shirt. So, so he would like, came up to me. It's like, Hey man, did you ever hear, hear Duff? I was like, no, I didn't. I never heard Duff. 
and then okay give me 60 kroners and on monday i will give you a daf record so i gave him 60 kroners the day after uh, and he came back with the Fyrimmer Duff record, uh, which totally blew my mind. It still blows my mind. That's a great record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, then we just, I had sort of started to record stuff in my, uh, uh, in my house, you know, when my parents were not at home. Like, I had no idea what I was doing, but I was, you know, recording the, the toilet flushing or, you know. Just sort of chasing the the dog through the house, or you know, or whatever. But I didn't know what what it was, and so Svara sort of helped me to navigate that. I guess, like, hey man, you you should listen to this and or that. And he and he had an older sister who was, you know, she went to London every now and then and came back with stuff she bought at the rough trade shop, which was like you know early SPK seven inches and throbbing gristle and. Soviet France and all of that stuff. And, and she was a bit older than us, of course. So when she said like, you, sh you should listen to this, we, we, we listened to it and we worshiped it. So it was like, she was my cousin and his sister. They were so definitely like the key persons in the early stages of my like interest in yeah, what I did later in life. And meaning it was, it was uh, Jan Svensson. Yeah. Yeah, meeting him and how how did you get involved in in Borft it, uh, if it was already kind of started and going? Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because I I talked uh, I, I thought about this earlier uh, because you know it was such a short time like eighty seven to ninety one or something like that but it's it's so much things happened you know like um, so I, it's you know my story is not linear I guess but it's like close to it. Uh, so 87 and probably 88, we started Alvar's orchestra and, uh, we, we released a few tapes and then I sort of like drifted into the label and I don't, we never talked about like, I, I would be part of it or anything. It just happened. Um, and I sort of like, I think the releases I chose to release was a bit rougher than his. He was more into like rhythmic stuff or synth. And I was more into the more industrial experimental stuff. Uh, and then in probably 88 or eight, yeah, early 88, um, I got in touch with Roger, Roger of Colmet Industry. And he sent me those like catalogs of fantastic music and I ordered like, yeah, like once a month or stuff. And and he was super supportive to us. Like he was working in a, in a, in a printing shop and he used to help us printing covers or like just, just helping us out. Basically he was a super cool guy to us. And like, we were like children he was already a bit older and he knew a bit more stuff, of course. And you know, when I, yeah, his stuff was so formative for us, like the little Roger stuff and, and he had in 87, I think he released the, the, that, uh, the undead seven inch. And that was like worshiped in our house. And then he, in 89, he agreed to, to release a tape on Borft, uh, which was the temptations tape, the BD. I think that was the first BDN release. Um, so cool. yeah, it was really cool. And that for us, that was, of course, like we sort of thought that now we will, you know, we will get the, our stuff out there, but it was like, we only sold that tape and we didn't even have the intelligence to like make more than 50 copies of it. We should probably 
you should, should have made like hundreds of it, but we did 50. And I, th I think Roger even asked us like, why don't you make more? And it's like, we, we didn't even reply, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Were you seeing shows at this time? Were bands coming through or probably you would, may, would have to travel to go see anything? Yeah. There were not, not much going on where we, we did shows at my friend's house. Like we invited people to his basement and stuff and scared the shit out of them. And awesome. we, we, we tried to get shows at like, you know, it was, was a school disco. We, we called the organizer and said we were playing dance music. And then we showed up in like, <laughs> like hockey masks and playing intense, loud noise. <laughs> for a while on, <laughs> until they pulled the plug and but but the first first concert i went to that was like a serious uh concert was uh, in 1990 i went to gothenburg and i saw Huffler trio uh which was like totally mind-blowing and still it was like i was 15 after at, at the time and had no idea what a concert which was supposed to be i had been to like rock concerts and like our concerts which was not really concerts it was just like us you know doing stuff but this was like a two-hour concert and super loud in uh the radio do you know the radium label radium yeah yeah yeah. yeah and they had this house and um uh so the concert was there and like the swimming area of the house they had was an old bathhouse so and it was like stuff was you know falling down from the ceiling and was it was it felt like uh, really dangerous to be there and it was, it was great and it was like you know, I was, I remember thinking repeatedly, like, I wouldn't, I, I, I do not want this to stop ever. I just want to stay in this room, you know? <laughs> it's the best feeling. Yeah. And that was decomposing we, room. Yeah. And then we tried to talk to Andrew McKenzie afterwards. But of course, he was not interested to talk to a couple of children from the South, you know? So, <laughs> so but it was really important. I think about that concert like even to this day is like one of the strongest experiences I had on like all levels. It was so formative and important. Wow. That sounds incredible. And then after, so you were, you were said you were about 14 then. Yeah, I was 15 probably. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so we took the train. Early. So we took the train and we told our parents that we we're going to see my cousin who was living in Gothenburg, but of course we never saw him. You know, we just stayed in the train station after the show. And I, and before the show, we went to this like film program, which, which was also mind blowing. It was like films by like Annie Sprinkle and the anti-group oh, wow. and yeah. all of those things that was, you know, like early, you know, Carl Abramson was there and showing some Scandinavian Topi videos. And it was like, just, just uh, so much things happening on one night. It was like, great. The energy must have been incredible, and especially being so young and and experiencing it for the first time, I can't even imagine. Like that sounds like a great night, it's like a different now. world. Yeah, yeah. But like when yeah. you're when you're fourteen yeah. and this is like or fourteen or fifteen and this is like this is your first big experience in mm -hmm. with this. I can't even imagine what that yeah. did to your brain. No, it's it's probably did more more things than I than I know, but it was like. I, I didn't realize, I think, but it was like, I decided then what I want to do with my life. I think, to be honest, it's, it's, uh, it was changed. It changed me to the bone, but also I like understanding that you could be an adult and doing those things like, right. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Like, uh, like up until then, I only knew Roger sort of, and Carl Abramson also, but I was only talking to these guys on the phone 
and trying to pretend I was older. I, I don't think they knew that we were like 13 or wow. whatever. Wow. Seeing the Huffley Trio show was like definitely like that I can actually do this forever if I want to. And that was super important, of course. Aside from the inspiration and that feeling, did that did that provide momentum for work with the label or for seeing more shows or setting up more stuff? Like what were yeah, the ramifications I, I think, of that show? I think I I would I would have loved to say that it changed everything and we went, we went to a more serious direction, but it didn't. I think it, it, after that, it's sort of like the label became like a. We released so much junk. It was like just whatever. We we released so much strange stuff and tapes we tried to sell to the hockey kids at school you know it's like we were chased in their hallways like you just sold us this tape man you can't listen to it i was like you know just, <laughs> so we didn't like take the chance to make it like a more serious thing i guess because we were so young so we didn't understand that we could actually act with that energy that was like fed through that concert so so uh, I, I think it's like the the result from that came much later in a way, like maybe for me, not up until I started Ideal, like in 98, which was like, you know, yeah, eight years of just, you know, fooling around, I guess. Yeah. So you, you took a break after working with Borf to before starting Ideal. Yeah. I actually moved from Sweden in 94 to Paris and I lived there for a while. And, um, then I was studying and sort of just listening to music and I didn't have like, I sold all, all the gear I had and everything uh, just to be able to move uh, because I really needed to, to get out of the place where I, where, where I come from, because I saw like, you know, you know, the struggle in those places, like you, you see people disappear at an early age and I didn't want to become that person sort of. Um, so but like in Paris and then later in London, 96, 97, I was like really interested in music again, like trying to form a label. And in 98, I sort of like came up with the idea of forming Ideal. But like through, but, but I wanted to do something different and I wanted it to be only me. And I wanted to be inspired by also like the punk scene that was going on. Um, but also like the DIY thing, because I think because I, I was always thinking about Roger of Coldmet Industry as like the, the ultimate anarchist in a way, like the ultimate DIY guy, because he was like always super supportive, doing his own thing. It's like never like releasing anything just to sell records. Well, he did that at the point, but, but, but not then, so to say, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so it's like, it's, uh, so I wanted to like, find that energy to do something on, on, on my own sort of, and, um, I, I still don't consider ideal to be a proper record label. I, I, it's just a project. And, you know, sometimes I work with people that are really, you get really angry with me because I don't do any promotion. Basically. I don't, I don't have a management like helping out, but it, because I don't want to have a record label in that way. I just wanted to, to be like a source and a platform for me and like-minded people. When you were in Paris and you said London in the 90s, were you going to shows then or did you drop out of paying attention to too much that was going on in general at that time? I sort of like went to a few shows and it was like the odd size records. They had, they had a small small shop. Do you, do you remember that label? 
uh, they released like against night and stuff like that. It's like French avant-garde industrial stuff. No, um, they had a small shop in like the suburbs and I went there every now and then. And, um, and the guy, he was setting up a few small shows at the, at the shop and so on. But, uh, but I didn't really go to any like experimental music concert. It was more, more of a, like, like a drinking spree, I guess for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know what you mean when ideal started and especially in those early years, there was a mix of stuff you were doing. I mean, and it continues to this day, but especially early on at the end of the nineties, you were doing stuff like Mersbau, but also it seemed you were also interested in the, the the sort of rock music that was, for lack of a better term, that was happening at the time, stuff like Arabon Radar, which you would do a split with at one point, yeah. the, you know, maybe Lightning Bolt, maybe that the Providence stuff that was happening at the time. Was that stuff that you got, ex part of the stuff that you got re-excited about? Was that that scene going on? Yeah, not not really a Providence scene, but it was like Arabon Radar as a band was was super important for me, I think, because they were like, so out there on all levels and they were not really of course if you see you know the scene they were like part of a scene and part of a sound in a way but i think they were sticking out because they were so extreme in all directions i think their music was so like dadaistic and avant-garde so it was not really not even music sometimes which was really 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 attracting me and um we did this, uh, I was in a band called Kid Commando, which was a sort of like a fast punk band. And we did a split seven inch and then we toured uh, Europe in 2002 and did like 35 shows in 37 days. So sort of, sort of like super intense tour. And that was also like super important to to see those guys perform every night because they, they're like super, they were like serious performers, like, and so much more fucked up than you know any band i've ever met you know it's like they were yeah they they sort of they told me like day three or something like that they were like really uh, interested in like learning learning from us because we were so well behaved and you know, uh, and almost academic. And we were like, where we come from, we were the fucked ups, you know? So, so it was a strange meeting. That's, that's hilarious. So yeah. So you were, you were getting interested in all that stuff again. And I was the same at, at the end of the nineties, I mm -hmm. was as interested in Merzbau as that sort of stuff. I saw Airman Radar at the end of the nineties and it was truly like it, it was my first experience of seeing a set that was about 15 minutes. So I couldn't believe that they were a band that played about, I don't know, maybe they may have gone longer as the years went on, but when I saw them, it was about 15 minutes. And I remember the drum set started in the back of the stage and then there was no uh, concrete block or anything in front of the kick. And by the end of the set, he, had, he was playing standing up and it had moved all the way to the front. And I just remember being <laughs> so blown away by that presence on stage at that time yeah 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 it was like but for me in in my head i i was like i thought arab radar was like on the same level as some of the japanese noise bands or whatever because i i never never understood why they should be connected to like a certain scene sort of because i thought they were so much about so much more and like especially after seeing them every night for for a few weeks that was like so mind-blowing 
and extreme music you know it's just extreme music on so many levels that tour you said was about 35 days or something or something like that was that your first tour no no we we did a few like really really bad tours with kid commando before like you know <laughs> um, you know squats in europe Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> but, we had we, we had one US tour booked also like in 2000, 2000, I think. And it was like, also like a long US tour, like 30 days or something. And everything was, was set and, you know, we, but we never booked our flights. So we never showed up and we didn't even tell the guy setting up the tour that we were not coming. <laughs> so, so it was like, we started getting those, you know, it was early blog days so we were reading those blogs like they didn't show up in st louis either sort of you know uh, yeah <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> getting around yeah, yeah. maybe huh. they're not here they're probably not in the states <laughs> yeah. and and then also at the end of the night as you do you did do a cd with mersbau on ideal correct yeah how did you end up getting in touch with him? Was it just a, a blind uh, we, write or was it, did, were you in contact with him? Had you seen him? How did that relationship start? We had, we had been in touch since the eighties actually, because I was oh, cool. ordering, ordering tapes from him and uh, I wanted him to do something for birth, but uh, it's for, for some reason it never happened. Uh, it was probably my fault, but, but um, then when I started ideal, Mertba was one of the, like first bands or projects I wanted to release just to like make a point about what the label was about. Um, so yeah, it was really strange communication as well. Like I, I, I was asking him about his books and his texts and he wrote me back saying like, thank you for offering and translating my book in, in, into Swedish. And after that, it was like, just, just total confusion, like trying to explain <laughs> that I didn't want to translate this. Right, right, So yeah, but, but it was like the early days of label was every release. You, you know how it is when you start a label, like every release is super important just to show what you want. Now, after like 250 releases, something like that, it's like, of course I find every release really um, important. But it's uh, it's not as important for the label, so to say, because like the 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 body of the label is already there. Like people un sort of understand what I'm after. You've also started the new series, the Ideal Inner Circle. Mm. Can you tell us about that a bit? I managed to pick up a couple of them randomly, and while, while yeah. not being a subscriber, I'm very happy that I got my hands on them. So yeah, in fact, it's it's been in Gray's recent listening, which leading mm -hmm. to what why we ended up doing this interview now because Gray's been really excited about that and the, the couple releases he's picked up on that label. So uh, so moving all the way to the to the future, that is what you're doing now. And so yeah, what's the yeah the so uh, the plan behind this series? Yeah, so it's like I think it's three ideas like coming together for the series. And it's like the first uh, first idea was because the label is turning twenty five this year, so it was like a celebration. And then the second idea was uh, because I lost so much money like the past few years, like the because I have have had so many records in the pressing plant and not getting any records out. So it's like up up, you know, it's like the worst. Just just before these CDs started to come, I was in debt, like probably like 15,000 euros, you know, and that was money I had just like paid to the pressing plant and not getting records. 
And it was records I had I had paid like two years ago and something like that. So it was starting to become a big problem. And um, so I needed to do something that was getting me money kind of fast. And since I already like wanted to celebrate the label, it was like, let's celebrate and save the label on, on the same time, if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> yeah. so, and then the third idea was that I want to change the label because I, I've, I've had it like running it sort of the same way for 25 years, like, you know, sort of like, also like in a social way, almost like, you know, if there's someone I want to become friends with, I usually invite them to do a record. That's the best way to become friends usually, you know? And, uh, but now I feel like I want it to be become more personal. Like I'm, I'm old enough to make it more serious in a way. So I want to narrow the, the, the number of people I work with down to a controllable amount of people and only work with people that I see every now and then, or I'm friends with on a deeper level, because you know, you, you know how it is like, it's so much confusion going on when you're releasing a record and people think that you invite someone, can, do you want to make a CD in 200 copies? And then three weeks after you get an email asking, where's my money? you know, it's like this, these things, like it was, you know, I, I could take it for the first like a hundred times, but now I, I want to, I want the label to become like something else also to save it in a way, because I don't want to continue to do the same thing because that would be, you know, um, that would be suffocating. And so the idea is these releases are addition of a hundred, correct? Yeah. 70, 70 copies each. Oh, right. And That's then 30 right. Yeah. for the artist. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I will, I will not continue to do that you know, the same limited things, but I, the artists I'm, I mean, have invited for the ideal in a circle are the artists I feel most connected to and the people I want to continue to work with. I, right, didn't, tell, right. I didn't tell them this though. Right. <laughs> they're they're yeah. finding out now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. And so far the, the first two are, are artists you have dealt with, uh, you know, even uh, relatively recently. So yes, it, it totally makes sense. Now, going back to the earlier days, when do you, do you recall when you felt that idea was really becoming something and that, and that you were getting this head of steam with the label and it felt like you were really building something? Do you recall about when that was happening? It was probably when I was doing the festivals in Gothenburg also. I was doing yeah. the, the Ideal Fest and it's sort of like it became sort of a big thing in Sweden or in Scandinavia at least. And and the label sort of grew through that as well. And so, um, uh, and at the time I was also doing this record with, with Karsten Nikolai. And sort of like I, I started to work with a big, like a bit bigger artists. And of course that was like... Uh, yeah, when things started to get out of hand in a way, I also because it became like not a, you know a part-time job sort of, and I never wanted it to be that, but I had to just to make everyone happy. And and you were doing a lot of the stuff in Gothenburg. Now was that was was there precedent for what you were doing before that, or were you really? forging a new path by doing the ideal fest and doing the shows and booking the stuff in that city. It just, it's, I think naturally happened because I, I had this new job. I was, uh, I was studying literature at the university at the time. And then I started to do concerts, uh, at this jazz club in Gothenburg called Nefertiti. Right. 
Yeah. yeah. Where you where you played yes. sometime, yeah. Mike? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. A couple times, I think. Yeah. And Gray, you never played there, right? No. No, I don't think so. Uh, yeah. I've only played in Gothenburg once, and it was with uh, Thomas Eklund, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, so it happened that I, I was sort of in January 2003, I was invited to work there at the jazz club, like part-time. And and they asked me, would you be interested in making a festival? And that that's how it happened, sort of. So it was also like a life-changing thing that I actually left the academic world and just started to work with with music and the label and stuff like that. What were the logistics of putting on those fests? I mean, how, you know, just the the actual operations of it. Were you working with multiple people? How much of it was just you and just dealing with all the moving parts? Do, do you recall how that went? Yeah, it, it was me and my wife. It was like it just the two of us, you know, and, and we, you know, it was, I, I didn't really get the system of funding either. So we had no funding because we didn't know how to apply for money, you know, so we just, just like, you know, we have like a 300 people capacity venue and we have those bands costing that much and we're traveling and we have to break even by selling 282 tickets. You know, that was, you know, the situation. And it's like, I'm, and I'm so happy we did that because now I'm very much into the funding thing and it sort of like takes the, you know, the edge out of it in a way, I guess. But then again, everyone is happier on the money side, I guess. Right. And, and I just, I always thought of you as the, the guy in Sweden, the guy that's going to make stuff in Sweden happen for us bands, for, you know, people I knew stuff I was doing. Was there other people that you were working with in either other cities or, and that you had a strong connection with and, and how were you sort of thinking about the larger thing of shows in sweden in other cities well it was you know when i started out it was like you know after radium Housewolf and those guys they stopped doing stuff they it wasn't like years of not much going on it's like uh, roger was not doing shows he was just doing the label and of course it was filkingen in stockholm that was going on but it was like seriously just academic improvisational stuff going on for years and years uh, but then I started to do concert there too. And then some, some people started to make similar stuff in Stockholm. So sometimes we tried to get like people two shows in Sweden, you know, instead of just Gothenburg. And, and then, you know, a few years after that, you know, dance, your election and those guys, they moved to Gothenburg and they had this place where they played, you, you know, they did shows and played themselves and stuff. So it was like, but it was like probably like, six or seven years with not much going on. It was just me in Sweden, you know, doing this. Uh, but now it's like, it's really, you know, been exploding so many younger people doing stuff as well. So I'm, I'm just trying to also like the stuff I organize now, I try to narrow down what I do and find, like try to navigate and not do what everyone else is doing and try to like invite bands that sh wouldn't be invited elsewhere, you know, and stuff like that. So I really try to really try to not, uh, you know, fight with anyone else on who's playing and, and not, you know, so I'm now, I'm now doing the ideal 25 festival in, in November. Uh, and so far it's, you know, I have skull flower playing, 
Right on. And they are not, you know, they are not invited anywhere. You know, they were shocked when I invited them. That's great. Then of course, Wolf Eyes is playing because they're on tour, but it's also like I'll try to mix it up a bit. So, so Audrey Chen is playing from Baltimore and Christine Abdenour from Lebanon. And, you know, so it's, it's going to be a mixed, mixed program. Very cool. And, and what's, and that'll be in Gothenburg or in Yeah, Solomon? Yeah. It's oh, going to be in oh, Gothenburg. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I work in this theater now, so it's going to be in, in the theater. It's called the Folk Theater. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And you you came to the States in the 2000s. I can't remember yes. what, 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 and that was with Skull Defects. Yes, I, I think first times were for the No Fun Fest, though. Oh, that's uh, right. You, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah, so I got to know Carlos through the internet, of course. Right, and, um, right. Then, uh, yeah, and then Skull Defects, I think the first time we went was 2007 or eight yeah and then we we went like once or twice a year i guess and you you met carlos yeah through the internet and then going to the no funds then of course you would be a part of no fun sweden in yeah. 2008 so again was that just you just operating the same way you you and carlos just talked about the lineup and just made it happen somehow I think it was mostly Carlos, actually. I just like yeah, I had some ideas with Swedish or Scandinavian artists, but uh, Carlos was uh, ninety eight point seven in charge of the program. I, I tried to I tried to get Hive Mind on the bill, but he was like saying no. Oh, yeah, he was just like absolutely not. Aside from it being a, a great a great weekend. I can't remember if it was two or three nights, but, uh, it was, it was great. three nights. I think about, yeah. Nights. yeah. Yeah. It was great, yeah. great three nights. Uh, it was the, the, two different venues. That's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and didn't Jesus lizard play one of the nights, like at a different venue and, and it split yeah. the crowd for like, for like an hour and a half. Like, I yes. think like people went over yeah, to see them. Yeah. 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 Really strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the, I remember that. And then I remember that we all stayed on, on boats. This is the yes. only thing so, I think so, of. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very <laughs> strange because yeah. we all, I don't remember if it was every band or most bands. I think there was a, there was a hostel that some people stayed at, and but most yeah. people stayed on these boats. And I had never done anything like that. And I just remember waking up every morning sort of like, am I hungover, dizzy, or is the boat moving? And then you get off the boat and realize it was a co kind of a combination of both. Like the boat is moving and I'm yeah, hungover. Yeah, that's a rough place yeah. to be uh, hungover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was very, it was definitely a strange uh, staying experience. And I also remember, I can't remember, someone I feel like almost fell off the boat one of the nights, uh, you know, after some uh, some Swedish beers. But yeah. Was that yeah. Steve? I might have been. I don't remember, but yeah, it was it was a, a great wild time, and yeah, it was it was such a great weekend. But do you remember someone was like seriously hurting himself? Was it at the hair police show? My like, boy, I don't somebody, remember this. Somebody was like a, a, a cutting his throat with a broken bottle. I remember. Yes, yes. it was during hair police. Yes, I, I wow, yeah. I totally forgot yeah. that. Yes, and I don't. Yeah. I think it was just an just someone in the audience, right? I don't think yeah, it was I, anyone. I, anyone knew? No, I, no. I think it was just just a guy, like a local guy, but he was really excited. He loved it. Like right, so, he right, was like, yeah, yeah. 
So he so he didn't know what to do with himself. So he yeah, you cut his throat. <laughs> cut my own throat with a beer yeah. bottle. That was oh, wow. that's right. It was weird because the amb- ambulance was coming like during your set outside. Yeah. So it's like the lights were blinking and stuff, and they just picked the guy up and you were like continue to play. It was great. I mean, so, that's what you gotta do. Yeah. Wow. A lot of injuries at hair yeah. police shows, really. There's, there can be yeah. injuries. Yeah, I, I I split my own nose and got stitches at one. So yeah, uh, injuries at our shows. Got were, a concussion at one. Yeah, you got a concussion at one. That's true. Uh Mike scraped his shin bone shin down to the bone. And like still has that it, scar. Still, yeah, Tara yeah. had to take me to the hospital after after the splitting last my one nose in Kentucky, open. Yeah. Uh wow. to get stitches. You could in my see nose. into his face, like yeah. back yeah. into his brain. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it was crazy. It's hard. Yeah. Any anytime, anytime uh you think about that, it's like various bumps and bruises. Yeah, but at the yeah. time we just sort of didn't consider those things. All of us, you know, just at these fests, like, oh, someone's like cutting themselves. Oh, Maybe it's crazy. Shouldn't. Now now I'd be way more concerned. You know, but back then you're just yeah. like, eh. It Maybe just, I shouldn't break my equipment. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. kind of what we do. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he literally yeah. stabbed his own forehead playing my banjo with a knife. It happens. It's it like, how'd you stab your face? Yeah, he was like, yeah, well, yeah. I was playing your banjo. Yeah. Uh, oh, with what? A knife. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it was just, those were the those were the times of what we were all doing at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was just, yeah. it was just a mad time. And did you get any flack for the having to call an ambulance? No, nobody like, say anything. Just no, just like everything was quiet after that. It was like the party was ongoing, and then no yeah. one has ever said anything, you know. Yeah, but I think yeah. I, I think Dan, I think Dan, Sewer election those guys that were staying at the guy's house. But it was like mm-hmm. something happened when he when he came back from the hospital. It's like amazing, yeah. amazing, and of course, being in Sweden with a close proximity to EMS, I'm sure you've worked there and worked, you know, with that. Uh, when was the first time you you started working there or working with with the EMS stuff? No, it's in Sweden. You know, the EMS is, has always been present in a way. Like, if you're into ele- electronic music, everyone knows about it. Sort of, they have been really open, you know, and inviting people from. All, diff- all kinds of different scenes. So, but it was basically, I, I started working there when I was, uh, I was living in Stockholm for a few years and I was the chairman of Filking and the venue and the organization. So I was like closely associated with the electronic music studio. And, you know, we started a record shop. Me and Daniel Rosenhall started a record shop at Filking and sort of like tried to, tried to you know, because uh, the electronic music studio is like the basement of Filking and sort of like it, it's the same house mm-hmm. uh, and the record shop was there too. So I wanted to, I wanted us to build this like hub of, you know, strange things going on and you could like, you know, work in the studio during the day, go record shopping in the afternoon and then see a show at night, you know? So it's like, I, I, I wanted that to happen, but, but now I think, I think Filking is moving out on, November 1st or something like that, they have been, been kicked out by the landlord who's going to rent it out as, as like office space. And it's a big tragedy because, you know, Phil Kingen has been there since 86. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. 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 And it's an old organization, you know, they started in 1933. It's like a chamber music, uh, uh, organization. And they were like the people who invited like John Cage in the fifties or mm. Nam Yun Pike or Lamonte Young or, you know, CC Hennix and all of those people to, to Stockholm to, to perform uh, at Fulking and, and, and the museum of, of modern art. 
So it's like it's uh, Stockholm is changing, and so far the electronic music studio is still there, but they're also facing struggles. You know, it's like you know the the government wants to cut their funding and stuff like that, and it's that's it's kind of sad because it's been really important for like bringing in like international composers and electronic musicians to Sweden. And usually they have a residency, stay for a few weeks and do a few shows and, and collaborate with people. So it's been been a really good thing for a bunch of years. That's really too bad to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You will have a great relationship working with a handful of artists that you're continuing on with the uh the new ideal imprint and one of them being john duncan when did you first get in contact with john duncan and how did you guys start working together i was i was a fan of john's music and art since my teens you know it's sure. like i found out about his work you know when i was 12 or 13 and blew my mind and but it took me years to have the uh uh, the guts to co- to contact him because I thought he was a scary guy. I, you know, because I never met him because, uh, but then into no 1999 Housewolf was organizing a big exhibition in, in Gothenburg and he had invited John, John Duncan and he, he was doing the, the kneeling towers installation. I don't know if you heard about CD two. It's like, it's a boys choir, uh, recording. And he had built like two towers out on a square that was like big speakers on it and sending out this like voice choir piece. And and he he was there and I didn't, you know, I didn't dare to go up to him, but uh, he was at the party later and uh, I dared to say hello. And of course he was a total sweetheart and uh, super nice. And then it took a few years uh, for me to to actually approach him for a release and it was like he was playing in stockholm and we were sitting backstage at Fylkingen before the show and and i played the john coltrane johnny hartman record you know that's you know it's, i don't know if you know the record it's like a super great uh, jazz record like uh, uh, johnny hartman was a black crooner guy and of course john coltrane it's not like the big jazz guy and it was such a great album. I, I love that album. And John said, I, lo- I also love this, this record. And then, then he said, I want, I want to make a cover out of this song. And I never heard him sing before. So, and I said, yeah, let's do a cover record. He said, yeah, let's do that. And so we shaked hands and like a few months after I, I got the master for uh, the bitter earth, uh, LP, uh, which is one of my favorite records by John. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful record. And, and ever since, uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm trying to release uh, like at least one or two records by him every year uh, because I still think I, I consider him one of the most interesting uh, artists out there, you know, and he's still like, mm-hmm. he's 70 years old, like this week, and he's still like brutally young at, at mind and it's like doing really um, challenging stuff, like challenging music, I think. And still still like performing really strong sets so i I can just hope that i would be there in 22 years you know (laughs) heck yeah and you would also you've also reissued riot correct yeah 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 awesome yeah Yeah, new new and old stuff which is cool yeah and i think that's important also because some of his releases are like like riot 
it's, you know, the, the sound, you know, the, the original pressings doesn't sound that good. It's like great records. And I fucking love them. He told me once that there's, I have the master tape and we should like, because it's the wrong speed or something on the original pressing. And so we did like this remastering and, you know, try to restore the original tapes. And of course it sounds amazing. I think it's a really strong recording. Oh yeah. Absolute classic. Mm -hmm. The other person that you've released so far in the inner circle is, uh, Daniel Hansen of sewer election. Yeah. And you've been working with him for a long time with the label and uh, you're both being in Gothenburg, I guess at a time. Mm. Uh, and you also have a project with him and, uh, Matthias Gustafson, which yes. is organ of Cordy. So let's talk about uh, your relationship with Dan and also your, your work with him and Matthias. Yeah. Like I've always been a fan of Dan's work. Like I'm a big fan of zero election and also his live, live performances is always, you know, intense and, challenging and you know it's like he gets you to the place where you feel danger you know it's like danger in the room when he performs and it's like he can perform for nine minutes but he will give you more than like most live acts do uh so i've always you know been been into working with him and and matthias alter of flies he used to open for skull defects when we were like touring europe uh, because been, we've been friends for, I didn't even know, we, I, I probably, probably met him through, he was in a punk band called The Jam Session in the 90s, and we were probably playing shows with Kid Commander and Jam Session. And, uh, well, you know, we, Sweden's kind of small, so it's like we are three people here in Sweden, like in, in, into tape music, and we decided to form a band together. And speaking of your collaborators, there's also Mika Evanio who is unfortunately no longer with us, but whom you released a record with in 2013. How did your collaboration with Mika start? Uh, I had, I had invited Panasonic for a concert and they didn't show up. Um, so I had no, no idea where they were, you know, it's like, it, and it took, took me a few weeks to get a uh, hold of them. And then Mika answered the phone and it was like, yeah, it was, you know, they, sometimes they didn't show up. Uh, for different reasons. <laughs> then he said, like, we will come for free next time. And I promise we we come. And they showed up like a few weeks after and it was a great concert. And then they played the Ideal Fest. And Mika told me, yeah, if you come to Berlin, he was living in Berlin at the time. If you come to Berlin, uh, give me a call and we can have a coffee. And, uh, and I did. And I'm half Finnish. So and my family comes from like the same area where his family it, it, it comes from in mid Finland. So, so, uh, we sort of had that connection and, you know, we became friends sort of. So always when I was in Berlin, I was staying at his house. And then after a few years, we, we just decided we wanted to, to record something uh, together. And he had played with KJ Haino who had forced him to buy a guitar. So, so Mika wanted to play the guitar. Uh, so, and so we recorded uh, like a few tracks in the in the Eistutz and the Neubauten studio in 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 Berlin. So, yeah, I wanted to ask about that. How did that get hooked up? Well, I I don't really know actually. I think we just wanted to record there because we were both Neubauten fans, of course, and, and we heard that they had like if you bought like Studio Town there, you were allowed to use their instruments. Oh, cool. Oh. So, so we ended up like using all of the 
percussion sounds and stuff on the record is all Neubaut and stuff. And uh, I played the bass on one track. That's that's uh, theirs, their bass, and so on. So it was like it was you know just just to be able to have a. I think the, we just wanted to be there as fans, and then it was a lucky coincidence that we actually actually recorded something too. Oh, that's awesome! And and when was that done? Probably in 2011 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And was the so, recording done over many sessions or? No, just one day. Just the one mm. day? Oh, wow. No. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, and then I mixed it in Stockholm together with a friend. And, you know, yeah, we had, we did some shows and we wanted to record more stuff, but it sort of became more and more difficult. So, yeah for different reasons you know i i became a father in 2013 also which also didn't help you know makes a big difference yeah the work that you would do solo ranges from a lot of different things from something like ignition which is very you know very great ambient synth to some more rhythmic stuff to some more challenging rhythmic stuff how do you approach your work solo under your own name and is, do you have, is it the label you're working with depends what you're going to do? Is it the idea that you, that you have, and then you maybe shop it to a label? How do you, how do you organize your own solo work? Well, I, uh, I really don't like uh, recording solo stuff. Like I really, I really, I really don't like it. And I try not to, as long as, you know, to, to the point where it becomes impossible to stop it. If you know what I mean, it's like, yeah. sometimes I just mm -hmm. have to do something. Usually it goes very fast. And then it, uh, just, if I have an offer from, from someone, I just send whatever it came out and try not to think about it, you know, up until it comes out. So it's, it's just like, I really enjoy collaborating with people. I, I love playing with people. Like I love being in a room with people. Like I don't, I don't, I never enjoyed my own company either. You know, it's like, it's always mm -hmm. been. I, oh, I'm, I'm super bored with myself. It's like, I don't, I don't, I never, you know, I never lived alone. I would never like even want to try it. You know, I always lived with, with friends and my family, of course now, but, but it's the same with the music. It's like, it's like, I really don't like to do it. And, uh, but sometimes I just have to, and it's like, it's uh, some kind of, I can't really, I don't want to explain it because I, I can't, you know, it's like, it just, it just, uh, um, and it's not even that serious, you know, if you know what I mean, it's just uh, like mm -hmm. this energy right. that needs to come out. It's, it's not like a master plan or something, or I don't, um, it's just, I, I don't want to, um, uh, uh, sometimes I feel that I don't want to take up unnecessary space. If you know what I mean, it's right, like there's right. so, so much other good stuff out there. It's like, I don't want to interfere with my, my stuff. Because honestly, I don't find it that interesting, you know? So every time someone says like, Joachim, I really enjoy your last whatever. It's like, I'm really surprised and I don't believe the person, you know? <laughs> so, Liars. so yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, and it's, it's, it's really like that because I, I, that's why I really like playing with Dan and Matthias and, you know, the organ of Corti thing. Mm. Because it's my, my things really find a place there. And also like I, I do some like male collaborations now, like I did a record with 
with uh, with Jeff German, hands too, mm-hmm. uh, on uh, New Forces, and that was like we 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 had met and we had played together. But then, you know, we just said, let's send each other files and see what happens. So we did that. And I really enjoyed that too, just to have his, like, his fantastic field recordings to work with and to just find the right spot for my synth stuff, like inside of his sounds. Like, I really enjoy, um, you know, like, just just hiding inside of someone else's sound and like try to like lift whatever they are doing, you know, like through like sub bass or whatever is necessary in the sound to make it like fly a bit more than it does, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, like I did this record with Mats Gustafs on the sax player just recently on, on, right. on three jockey records. And it's like, I really enjoy working with him too, because you know, like playing with a reed guy is like, there's so much space which I can fill or not fill because it's, mm-hmm. you know, whenever he's breathing, it's like, I can choose to do something there or not. Um, so I find that much more interesting to like, you know, uh, work with someone else's energy than, than try to, uh, you know, uh, cope with my own, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and was the recording with Matt's in person? Yeah. Yeah, partly, uh, yeah. N- not the whole thing, but uh, yeah, like half of it or something like that. Yeah. Is that a way you've always felt in collaboration? Is that the way you felt when you were working in Alvar's orchestra or with Skull Defects? Or is this something that's yeah. changed over time? No, I think it was even worse when I was younger. I had this like early project called ABO that uh, Dan Rishud uh, did a, like a documentation CD of on, on his label, Uzagi. Um, but that was also like, you know, it was just like, it, it didn't mean anyone to hear it. You know, it's like, it was not intended for people to hear it. It was just like personal recordings, uh, of, uh, mental situations. If you know what I mean? Like I wanted to remember certain situations where I, you know, um, suddenly found myself in like feeling in a certain way. And I wanted to document that and remember it because, you know, I had, had several like times in my life where I was not feeling too well. And it's like, I didn't want to go back there and through recording it, it was like as a, you know, memory and a sort of like a therapy or, you know, whatever. And it's like, it's been interesting to, to listen to your, to the noise extra podcast, because it's quite common that people say sort of like the same thing, you know, it's like what I do yeah. is like some sort of therapy or something I just have to do. It's like, I don't have a plan or, and it's sort of like what we do. I think that's a, that's a very powerful tool to deal with yourself sort of. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. And especially in this world of noise and, and abstract sound, it, to me, I think it's the best way to, to deal with these things for sure. I agree. Yeah, and he- even when you're going back to listen, I mean, that makes sense that you're like, I, I, maybe I don't want to listen to it again because I've moved past that. And it's that thing that you need exactly. to do so that you can move forward. Yeah. I, I feel mm-hmm. very much the same. It's like, I can't really listen to the stuff afterwards because then it's already gone. So to say like mm-hmm. the point is already, already done, you know? So you're always looking forward to, to the next thing, the next recording and the next <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm never, never looking forward to my own recordings, but I'm always <laughs> like, looking forward to. Right. I'm always yeah. looking forward to to work with people. It's like and now I'm working on a new new organ of Corti thing, and it's, and it's really you know I really love it you know because that, then I get to listen to dance and and Matthias, 
things, you know, also because they send me stuff and I work with it. And it's like such a treat, you know, to be able to listen to their stuff like closely before, you know, before ev- anyone else does. And also like listen to it uh, so brutally clear and clean, you know, before mm-hmm. I like mess with it. So, and, and that's why I also love like working with people because it's, it's also like so so direct and and like like super honest you know it's like you can't really hide when you play with someone you know it's like it's also, uh, they're sending you uh, pieces meant for collaboration right not it's not like a fully formed thing they would make so you get this different aspect of what they want to offer to you that's not the full thing that the world will hear it's this exactly section of it that they think is right for you or that was in the moment or that feels right for the project I think those sort of sounds are interesting in collaboration where you, you get to pull out an extracted version of what one of the things or a couple of the things that are going on in that person's music and in their creativity. Definitely. That's uh, yeah. I love that. Someone else you would work with a lot is CM Von Hauswolf. And we've, he's been mentioned a few times on this episode course we've got a chance to talk to him last year and what when did you become aware of him i know you you know you mentioned the radium stuff and and going to see it in 1990 and then how did you guys develop a relationship a working relationship i uh i think i knew about very early like in 87 or 88 right what are the Um, earliest mm. things you were aware of Definitely. And, you know, like being that young at that age, like I, I thought that everyone was, I suppose that everyone were superstars, you know, like <laughs> right, Roger, right, right. Roger Karmarnik and, you know, Housewolf and all those guys. So like they were on the same level as Genesis Peorich or, right. you know, whoever, <laughs> you know, front two for two or mm-hmm. Neubaut. And like, I didn't understand that there were different levels or like underground or I thought everything was like the same so um and housewolf was he had his label and you know seemed like a really cool guy and he seemed like a brutal man as well like he was sort of a tough guy i saw him in a fan scene like wearing all leather and stuff so it was was like uh of course i wanted to be be him when i got older he was like he looked so cool they lived in gothenburg and i I lived (laughs) in this dump in the south you know so I sort of decided then, I think, to move to Gothenburg because it seemed like the place to be if you were, if you wanted to wear like all leather. <laughs> I love That's it. The goal. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it maintains that appeal, Gothenburg. I mean, if you look at the mid two thousands, also the the Gothenburg blood cult, right, uh, up into present day with Trepanering's Ritual and all leather and the the cut and the the blood. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's, we, we like to think of Gothenburg as, as, you know, Stockholm is, Stockholm is the capital and Gothenburg is a harbor town. It's rougher and we never stood a chance by anything. You know, it was a big, big, um, shipbuilding factory here that, that, uh, stopped, you know, the, tore down like in the eighties. And after that, there's only been a Volvo factory and not much going on, but so the music and culture has been like, like where people could like get their stuff done and like get their voices heard like like the gothenburg sound in in the metal scene there's a lot of like it's not my cup of tea but it's like it's a big thing and it's you know union carbide production productions in the uh, 80s and 90s of course there's been a lot of bands like coming out of here but also like you know um like the sub sub uh the underground stuff has been really important too of course what is it about 
Sweden that can that brings out that sort of roughness and darkness in music. I mean, we look all the way back to something like Cold Meat Industry, right? Speaking yeah. of wearing wearing leather and all black, uh, <laughs> not from Gothenburg yeah. though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, right? yeah, or, yeah. Chipping, yeah. Roger and I we talked about it once that maybe maybe it's you know the long winters. You know, it's like you have to be in, inside like half, like six months of the year. You have to be inside, you know, it's like, and also it's like, except for the capitals, there's the capital and Gothenburg and Malmö, maybe there's not much going on. So it's like total boredom. And that sort of feeds like the, the, the you know, the idea to the hopelessness and, you know, all of that, you know. <laughs> but it can be you. You can be ho- hopeless in Los Angeles as well, I guess. Definitely. Oh, no. yeah. definitely. oh boy, most, can you? Most <laughs> definitely. <laughs> uh, but but going back, so when did you you were you were fascinated by Hauswolf? When did you end up uh, meeting him and connecting with him? Well, I I don't I, I don't really remember to be honest because um, sort of just like you know some some people you just like like have you know, in your underpants suddenly, like he's so close to you and you didn't really you realize <laughs> that, that, that you, how he got there, you know? So he's right, you're <laughs> like, Oh wait, yeah, we're just, yeah. yeah. And no, I know what you no, mean. Yeah. It just, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's now, like this now guy. We're best friends. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, Tara, I just never let yeah, her out. You that's, know, that was, yeah, that's, that's it. how now it happens now sometimes. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> just, that's so just cool. Happened. Relatable. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. like, but I think Housewolf, you know, he's there's a few people that's been really supportive to me, and he's definitely one one of those guys, like really important, and he's still like surprises me sometimes. He gives me stuff like I don't mean he gives me like physical objects or anything. Like he gives me experience. He gives me, mm-hmm. you know, energy. He gives me like so much things that um, I would never tell him, you know. Right. Ah, right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And are you a, a citizen of Algoland Vargoland? Yes. For, right. for many years. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did you try to use that passport to get into the States? And can you I try to not. do that next time? I have not. I have not. <laughs> yeah. But maybe now it's a, it's a good time. Yeah. yeah, that's that's why the Kid Commando tour didn't hit. It was the Underland <laughs> yeah. passports weren't accepted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, maybe uh, we should and, present uh, one on the houseboats. Yeah, <laughs> true. The houseboats should be like Elgaland Vargaland. Mm-hmm. They should oh, be just definitely. like yeah. exactly like floating around. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we will paint the flag on one. Yeah. I mean, as someone who has been involved since being a teenager in the 80s, continuing, you're on the 25th year now of Ideal. It, it's a larger question and a general question, obviously, but just from your perspective of navigating everything, how how do you have how do you see things have changed since the 80s into now and and just the just the ebb and flow of how this underground has gone for you in Sweden? Well, I think Mike too, if I would try to answer it on a personal level, it's, it's like, I think it's, of course, it's, it's a matter of age also, you know, because I will, when I was starting out, I was so young and it was like, everything was new and it was like, just like, I was discovering the scene, like the noise and industrial scene at the same time I was growing and like discovering the world and, you know, like, you know, you know, uh, it was and everything is for me everything is connected like my life has been so connected to music and art so it's like i don't really see a difference you know but but one thing i was thinking about the other day was that 
you know, at one point, like a few years ago, I started to realize that now it's so much younger people in, in the scene. So I sort of like, it changed. So from me being like, like a young searcher, like trying mm-hmm. to find connection with certain people. It's like, now I'm on the other side and maybe I'm not that open anymore for like new stuff. And it sort of makes me sad in a way that I'm closing my mind down a little bit. Um, I don't know why or how, but I think that's a matter of age sometimes also. I, tr- I really try to be open-minded and and uh, searching new things out, but I don't find myself as like excited over new things. Like I, I'm sort of like, just want to go deeper into what I already like sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but there's there's still like new things that I really really like. Like uh, sometimes I like you know, you know I order uh, I buy a lot of records and I get excited over new stuff. Like uh, there's certain bands like Shredded Nerve. I love them. You know it's like I just just when I started to buy their stuff and I got really excited over them that they exist. You know it's like there's some <laughs> people like that. You know that I really find fantastic and it's like I, I still want to you know. And I, I feel that there's so much more stuff going on now also than, than when I was a teenager. So it's like, if I found one person somewhere, that was like probably 50% of the scene in that country. Right. You know? right. <laughs> but now it's like so many things going on that I can't really keep track on stuff. And it's like, uh, it makes me feel like an old man sometimes like, Oh, there's the kids, they're doing so much, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, but I really oh, love it totally. too, you know? I, lo- I love it too. That's like starting to get out of control, like the new labels, new records, you know, it's like, it's happening so fast that I, I really, really like enjoy like losing, l- losing track of like everything. Yeah. It's, I know exactly what you mean though. It, it, it's an up and down as far as the older we get, sometimes the more closed off we get, or we find the things that we, this is our lane and this is the lane we're in. But yeah. when you, when you do, pop out a little bit and, and, and poke your head around you, you can find some, some exciting things. And, yeah, definitely. And I'm sure, like you said, one of the things that's changed so much is pressing and, and pressing records and mm-hmm. just the, the, the bottleneck that's happened in the past few years that has made that a little more or a lot more difficult if for a lot of people than it was in the early two thousands or even the mid two thousands when we were, you know, popping things off, you know, with more of a quickness vinyl wise. Uh, and so when you, you press, I assume in Europe and yeah. and so, yeah. So, so, I mean, it's just everywhere, right? It's just that yeah, it's, it's, it's become it's, tougher. Also like postage, you know, it's like sending a record these days. Uh. So it's fucking impossible. You know, it's like, you know, I did this double LP with a booklet and it's like just above like a certain weight. So, if I would send this to the States now, it's like 32 euros postage and it's a 20 euro, you know, to, to press the record, that would be like 52 euros for someone to buy it without me, like getting anything for the work or like the artist or anything. So it's like, it's getting, it's getting really weird. And, but I I really love like doing CDs and cassettes also, which is Mm -hmm. still possible to send in the post. But vinyls, like it's uh, for me, I, I have to really reconsider what what's going on next year, you know? No, absolutely. 
But I mean, dude, 25 years of ideal, more decades of you just being you, being Mm -hmm. in the underground. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, you're still, you still have the fire. You still have the drive. It's maybe more focused, uh, maybe not, maybe not as wide uh, of a net that you want to work with, but it, you know, it's still obviously sounds like you're still, that fire is still there for you. Yeah, definitely. But it's like, sometimes I, I think that I've been sort of all over the place, you know, for, for all of my, I don't want to use the word career, but, but since, you know, the time I've been active, I've been like doing so many different things that I really want to try to narrow it down. Like, I really want to try to, to investigate like a certain, you know, area of my activities for the label and for my music, uh, but also like personally, like I really try to change, you know, for the better. I've, I've been too, uh, I find myself like too, too excited for too many things for, for much too long. (laughs) Hone it, hone it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For real. What's yeah. happening for the future for ideal and what's, uh, what's up next for the inner circle and how do people get involved in the inner circle? So, yeah. So next for the inner circle is like the two, it's two CDs are out, John Duncan sewer election. And now the next two is coming to be sent out to the subscribers. And it's Altar of Flies and CM von Hauswolf. And I'm sending the next oh. two CDs of the Inner Circle to the plants, uh, hopefully tomorrow. And it's uh, a compilation. It's a four-artist compilation, Wolf Eyes, Smegma, Leif Elgren, and my project, Saturn and the Sun, which is uh, with Henry Krylander. And mm. uh, then the other CD is uh, a live recording by Ectoplasm Girls from Stockholm. And uh, on the label, it's uh, it's a few things coming out. Like um, I just did a bunch of things like uh, a Rodelius Housewolf LP that just, just came out um, like a week or two ago. And um, yeah, there's a bunch of other stuff coming. And for myself, it's, I have a, a collab CD with Kevin Drum, who's going, going to be released on Psychic Liberation in in Berlin. So yeah, it's a it's always always stuff happening. And Excellent. then, to, it, it are is there room for new subscribers, or has that been no? It's the, gone. The, the, the ceiling is hit. So you it, mm-hmm. in order to get a copy, you you have to get lucky and get one from the artist if you are exactly. not artist. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. I should have made more, of course, that would be more like a financial smartness, but um, I'm not known for that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, the, the noise underground. Not, we're not always the uh, the brightest when it comes to yeah, the, strange. We, get, we, we, we work with our excitement and our, and our, and our heart sometimes more than our brain. So, yeah. uh, True. But, you know, we don't want to use happens. our brains and cheapen the whole endeavor. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I love spending like five hundred dollars to get like two hundred back. It's it's a yeah, lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah, how, yeah, how to we do all, it. We all we all fell asleep during that day in business class, or uh, you know. So yeah, but but I who think, needs it? Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're we're all just surrounded by CDs and tapes and records anyway. Yeah. And that's all I'd want to be surrounded by. But I really want to want to say something before we go because it feels like maybe we are wrapping things up. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I think yeah. we're head, heading to the uh, conclusion. But I wanted to tell you guys something, and it's like I really enjoyed listening to the Noise Extra pods. I'm a big fan, 
And oh, wow, thank also, you. Also, also, I think that you're doing something really important, that you're actually gathering people from different scenes within the scene, so to say, and p- putting, you know, knowledge be, you know, behind it all. So it's like, it's really important. Like I've, I've heard so many interesting people talking about the work that wouldn't, I would never know where it comes from or, you know, why they did certain things or how the connections are made. And I think what you're doing now is like, you're actually like mapping out the whole scene. I don't know if you're aware of it or you talk about those things, but I think it's the work you, the most important part of your, your, your work is like that you're actually like, like making a map of the whole scene, which is fantastic. Well, really thank appreciate that. that. And, and yeah, absolutely you. is, is, you know, the, that idea of, connecting this whole world and the history and and just taking it week by week and going through all the different branches and and trying to go f- as far back as we can and as far out to the sides as we can so that when you look at everything you see the the larger picture yeah the, the idea is certainly and, the larger picture and and also this is something that I, i'm sure all of us feel the same way it's been such a huge part of our lives and it's you know, it's made some really tough times with mundane things be more acceptable. And you have this like underground world to look forward to. And I never would want somebody to cheapen that experience. And I, and I love taking it seriously and meeting people who do take it seriously, you know, even though maybe we're silly or maybe, you know, we all have different emotions within it. it, it I would not want this to just go away without anybody having spoken about it, taken it seriously, spent time within it and, and really appreciated all of the things that experimental music does for us. We're also in a time when, as we get older, we're losing both heroes and contemporaries, right? Oh yeah. And it's so important to talk to people and hear their story and hear this stuff before we can't talk to them again, before we don't get a chance to. So Exactly. I, it's, I love getting to talk with everybody. I love doing the interviews. I love digging into the albums. Sometimes we do like we did a Tangerine Dream record because, of course, like all the Japanese guys mentioned, Tangerine Dream was a big influence and stuff. And then we've had people write us who found the podcast through looking for something about Tangerine Dream and have been exposed to noise because they checked out another mm-hmm. episode and then started listening to more of that. So that sort of thing is cool, too. The same those threads that you're talking about, the connections and the map is it extends beyond, you know, just Mercedes CDs or whatever it is, is it extends beyond just one label, one artist or a hundred labels and a hundred artists. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's why we do this every week. Yeah. <laughs> and you're a yeah, big thread. Yeah. yeah. You got a lot of people together in a lot of different yeah, situations. That's so what that's I was going to say. Like, you know, you can't weigh that value uh, in terms of just like putting on a show bringing people together, bringing people overseas, making those connections, even not just yourself, but you know, the artists that we're playing, like it's, it's invaluable. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you were to me, the, 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 the guy in Sweden for forever. And the reason I got to go there and, and play shows and be in Gothenburg when it started to snow and it just looked so incredible and just mm. being in this place that I, you know, would have never thought as a kid that I'd be going around to all these different countries and cities. And yeah, you were definitely such a huge part and still a huge part of it in Sweden. So, you know, we absolutely appreciate the work you've done and, 
And that's why we, you know, knew, knew it was a great time to talk to you, especially with the new series coming out and 25 years. It's, it's great. So, you know, definitely the, the feeling is, extends to you as well. So it's, this is really cool talking and, and we definitely appreciate the, the feedback as well. So thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I love that during our conversation, yes. the sun has set and yes. you went from yeah. a lovely bright room and now you are just a it is, floating it head. Is, uh, yeah, abyss. Yeah. It's it is. Very it's magical. gotten very dark appropriately as we discussed. <laughs> it has gotten Swedish dark. Yeah, you are now a floating head on the screen. It's extra so, dark yeah. in Sweden. It seems like yeah. that's a, a perfect time to sign off. But Joachim, thank you so much mm-hmm. for this. This was really fun. Really fun thank to catch you. up. It has been, like we said before we started recording, it has been insanely long since we've been together. So hopefully we can uh, make it happen in person sooner so than later. We must. Uh, Awesome. Awesome. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. Have a good day. Bye bye. You have a good night. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You have been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 20 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra. And your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at Noise Extra, on the web at NoiseExtra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at Noise Extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to Noise.